0: How many of you remember the TV commercial from the late 80s, early 90s? It showed an elderly woman lying on the floor, shouting out, Help me, I've fallen and I can't get up. How many of you remember that? You've just dated yourselves. Well, that catchphrase has become part of our vocabulary, but it's not very funny for those who faltered, for those who have fallen, and for those who feel forgotten. One of the many challenges during COVID-19 has been the number of people who have either relapsed back into drugs or alcohol, or lapsed spiritually. And some today don't even know how they're going to make it through another day. According to the Census Bureau's Household Pulse Survey released just this last month, the pandemic has created new barriers for people suffering from mental illness and substance abuse. Over the past 12 months, 4 in 10 adults, 40% in the United States, have reported symptoms of anxiety or depression. And that's up from 1 in 10 adults who reported these symptoms from January to June of 2019. Young adults are being hit the hardest. According to this study, 56% of 18 to 24-year-olds have experienced an increased amount of anxiety, depression, sleep disruptions, and thoughts of suicide. That compares to just 29% of those 65 and over who've experienced these struggles. Well, we're continuing in our series that we're calling One Another. And so far, we've learned that we're to care for one another. We're to be united with one another. We're to accept one another. Next weekend, our topic will be bearing with one another. Which means how do we put up with people, right? And after Easter, we're going to begin a series on the Ten Commandments that we're calling Written in Stone. Today, our emphasis is on how we can carry each other's burdens. We're going to be in the first five verses of the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Go ahead and open your Bible to that. And as you're doing that or using your mobile app, let's stand and let's read God's Word together. We like to remind ourselves that this is no ordinary book, is it? No, this book is alive, it's active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It can discern our thoughts, our intentions, our motives, can affect and change our attitude, our actions, all for his glory. God's word is inspired, it's inerrant, and it's authoritative. So we come under it right now. Let's read together. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. You can be seated. Now, before we tackle our text, let's set the context. It's always helpful to know what comes before the passage we're looking at. So just go back one chapter, Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Things aren't going so well for the church. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And then just look at the last verse of Galatians chapter 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. That word provoke means challenging someone to a contest. And so, whether we whack away at the weak or we're overcome with envy, Toward those we think are better than us. The problem is we're too caught up with ourselves. There are 59 different one another statements in the New Testament. And maybe not too surprisingly, the number one statement, one another statement, used 13 different times is this one, love one another. It undergirds all the other one another statements, and for God to repeat it 13 times, it must mean it's important. You see, self-centeredness is the deadly enemy of all of the one another statements. The attitude we should have toward people, according to John Stott, is not, I'm better than you and I'm going to prove it, or you're better than me and I resent it but you are a person of importance in your own right, and it's my joy and privilege to serve you. Here's our main idea. We show we care when we bear one another's burdens. I see four relationship responsibilities in this passage. Let's start by looking at the first one. It comes right from verse 1, restore the broken brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, well, you should restore him. It tells us how in a spirit of gentleness, and then we're given a warning, but keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. One paraphrase says it like this, if someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Paul refers to his readers as brothers. In the Greek, it's the word that means from the same womb. If you're born again, you and I are brothers and sisters, we're part of the same family. The use of the word if here helps us think through something that's hypothetical. If this were to happen, we're to be ready to restore the broken when it happens. The word caught was used to describe a bird or an animal which had become entangled in a trap. So a believer who's caught in sin is one who's been surprised or suddenly entrapped, and there's no hope of escape. Here's the picture, it's a picture of a brother or sister who's been caught red-handed in sin, much like the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. In verse 1, the word transgression is translated trespass, which carries the idea of stumbling or being on a very slippery path, sliding off the path, you find yourself in a ditch and you can't get out. It's also the idea of crossing a line. If this is a line, it's crossing over the line. Would you note, this refers to any transgression, the big ones and the small ones. Beth and I served as missionaries in Mexico City for three years, and we thought as a team, there were others on our team, we thought it would be good to do some team building together, so we went (coughs) bowling And at the beginning of our time together, it was a lot of fun, a lot of laughter. We're getting out of our our routine, and we're just having fun. And I was having a good time until Beth started throwing strikes. You know, your score's up there for everybody to see. And I'm like, this is no longer fun. So I put on my game face, and I'm like, I can't let her beat me in front of all of my friends. So I remember picking up a ball, and I line up way back from the line, and I'm crouched down, and there's no smile on my face. It's just me and those 10 pins, and this ball is going to knock them down. I wind up, and I throw the ball, only it doesn't let go of my hand. (laughs) And I did a swan dive. I crossed the line, and they must have just oiled that lane because I just went flying down that lane. I have never heard Beth laugh so hard in her life. (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. I had never heard before or since. In fact, when we bring it up, I I said, Beth, I'm going to use this story today. She started laughing again. (laughs) So here I am lying in the gutter while they're all guffawing. I had defaulted, I had crossed the line, and no one helped me back up, because they're all on the floor laughing. Now, that's similar to what Paul is referring to here. A believer, for one reason or another, is suddenly tripped up by his trespasses, and he's flat on his face, and everybody can see it. A good example of that. Maybe not a good example, but one we would know is Peter. Peter's like, Jesus, I got you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. And he ends up denying Christ three times in a row. The best equipped person to help a fallen believer, would you note, is one who is spiritual. I guess none of the other missionaries on our team were qualified because no one even offered to help me up. Now, let's go back to chapter 5. Let's see what spiritual is. Well, look at verse 16. A spiritual person is one who walks by the Spirit. Verse 22, one who is filled with the Spirit. And verse 25, one who keeps in step with the Spirit. So, to be spiritual, it's not referring to this, like, mystical spirituality, like this hyper-spiritual person. No, it's referring to the normal, spirit-filled Christian. you know you don't have to be a super saint to help other people? Spiritual people are ordinary people relying on an extraordinary God. The word you here is plural, emphasizing it's the obligation of the church body to reach out and to help a battered believer. And the fallen one is in need of restoration. That word restore is a present imperative, indicating this should be our common practice, something we're in the habit of doing. It literally means to make something right by bringing it back to its former condition. This word was used of somebody who broke their arm and their arm was set. Was also used for fishermen mending their nets. Why did they mend the nets? Because they weren't working right. They had to fix them before they could go back fishing. Restoration is an integral and necessary part of the healing process. So if people experience dislocation, brokenness, they've been torn apart and torn up by transgression, they need someone to come alongside and lift them up. It's interesting. 1 Corinthians 5, 2, it says the church is to remove an unrepentant sinner. Matthew 18, 15, the Christian is to reprove the offending sinner. However, in our text here, we're to restore the stuck sinner. You know, a terrible event happened this week, and and I don't presume to know all the details or to be an expert on this. Not all the facts are in, but we do know that a young man murdered Eight people in three different locations in Atlanta. Now, other details have come out, and there'll probably be more. But this crime against eight people made in the image of God was related to addiction, pornography, and temptation. Now, let's just set that aside. I I don't want to address those elements here. But here's what I do want to address. That young man was a member of a Baptist church. makes me wonder that those who knew him, those who sat with him, I don't know if he was still going, but I know he was baptized there and he was a member there. I wonder if those who knew him or know him are wishing now they would have done more to equip, to challenge, to encourage, to confront, to carry his burdens. It also makes me wonder if we're doing enough to make godly disciples who make disciples. I read a post from Christianity Today on Thursday. Here's the headline. Atlanta Shooters Church Ties Raise Questions for Pastors. Jason Dees concludes the post this way. For all Christian leaders, the tragic events in Atlanta this week should reawaken us and lead us to a deeper commitment to know our people, to disciple our people, And to preach the gospel clearly and faithfully to our people for the sake of their souls and ultimately so that Jesus might rightly receive the glory due his name. You know, God asks his people to seek those who are straying. In Ezekiel chapter 34, he holds the leaders responsible to do that, and they don't do it. And so this is what we read, verse 16, words of God, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Since God works to bring sinners to wholeness, We should seek ways to do the same. Brothers and sisters, if we're not actively looking for ways to bring back those who have been spiritually sidetracked, how will they get back on their feet? Let me personalize it. Who does God want to restore through you? Is there anyone you can think of right now who's going down a very slippery path of sin? Listen to Jude 22 and 23, and have mercy. It's so tender. Mercy on those who doubt. Look at the next phrase. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. I'm challenged and comforted by James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you, he's writing to a church, wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Straying believers need spiritual believers who will come alongside and mend them. And the process, would you observe, must be done with gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit, King James uses the word meekly, has the idea of doing something quietly and with enormous kindness. So a friend, when a friend is down, don't announce it to the world. You don't try to ruin his or her reputation, but instead you touch with tenderness and you restore with gentleness. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul, the older believer, mentoring Timothy, a young pastor, correcting his opponents, how are they supposed to do it, with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Romans 2.4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Now, I don't know about you, so I won't confess for you. I'll just confess for me. I don't always get this one right. There are times I want to restore someone, but there are other times I end up more judgmental than gentle. The Apostle Paul struggled with that as well. 1 Corinthians 4.21, he asks a question to a church that had a lot of issues. He says, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? If we don't allow ourselves to feel the pain of people's sin and approach people with tears in our eyes, we either do not love the sinner sufficiently or we don't hate the sin enough. Let me just level with you. This is so difficult. Here's why. Because our default setting is to get angry and judgmental with those who sin differently than we do on top of that we often get really upset with those who sin in the same way that we sin the last part of verse 1 is a rebuke to our self-righteousness keep watch on yourself why lest you too be tempted that phrase keep watch refers to taking aim it's the idea of spying on yourself So gentleness is born out of our own weakness and wandering hearts. When we see someone else slipping into sin, we should pause and ask the Lord to keep us safe from the sins that slip us up. James 3.2 says we all stumble in what? Many ways. 1 John 1.8 declares we all struggle with sin. If we say we have no sin, comma We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Because we're easily deceived, it's easy to think that somehow we're impervious to sin. Now, it's difficult to know how to respond when a brother or sister falls. Restoration, it's delicate work. But it's not for those who feel spiritually superior, It's a daunting responsibility, and it is very messy. We show we care when we bear one another's burdens. The second relationship responsibility, number two, is to relieve the burden. I'm in verse 2. We read this, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. Interestingly, the phrase one another is one word in the Greek and in the original it comes first in this sentence in order to emphasize it. We're to jointly shoulder each member's burdens. The word bear is a present active imperative indicating we're to keep on bearing. Here's what it means. Take up and hold to remove or lift an overwhelming load. A burden is a heavy weight. It was also used for freight, like a huge boulder weighing someone down as they're staggering under this enormous weight. Now, what might that look like? Well, here's a partial list, and perhaps it'll trigger your mind to think of more or maybe something more personal you're going through that may represent sickness, A sudden tragedy, personal loss, a relational rupture, financial difficulty, broken dreams, a failed marriage, family problems, career setbacks, the death of a loved one. It refers to something that someone cannot carry on their own. Over a hundred years ago, a pastor used a pen name. Here's his name that he liked to use, Ian McLaren. He made this very astute observation. Be kind. Everyone you meet is carrying a heavy burden. Man, that alone should change our tone when we talk to people would help us look more into their eyes and and try to discern how they're doing and how God might want to use us to help them. I find it significant Paul doesn't tell us what the burden is. He doesn't even tell us where it comes from. It doesn't seem to matter. So instead of judging others, we're to assist them by doing whatever we can for as long as we can. And some of us are like, yeah, I don't mind helping my friends. Uh we're also told to help those who hate us you like really well check this exodus 23:5 if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden you shall refrain from leaving him with it you shall what rescue it with him so in that sense we are our brothers and sisters keeper bearing burdens is an act of love and when we help the hurting our text says we're fulfilling the law of christ what's the law of christ john thirteen thirty four. a new commandment i give to you that you what love one another well how do i do that just as i have loved you you also are to love one another which would be sacrificial In other words, when we see people who've been rocked by the reality of life or crushed by the weight of the world, you and I should ask ourselves a very simple question. The answer to that could be very profound. Here's the simple question. What can I do to help bear their burden? Simple question. What can I do to help? Now, in the process, we must make sure we're not putting more burdens on them. Jesus had no tolerance for religious leaders who piled people with problems and weighed them down with endless expectations. Some of his harshest words were directed to these leaders. Here's an example, John eleven forty six, 46, and he said, Woe to you lawyers, also translated as scribes. For you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Man, I certainly don't want to be guilty of preaching in such a way that you leave here more burdened than when you came in. Fallen followers need the help of faithful followers. So here's a question. Do you pile people with problems? Or do you lovingly seek to lighten their load? We show we care when we bear one another's burdens. And so God knows you and I will not restore the broken, number one, or relieve the burden, number two, if we're too full of ourselves. That leads us to number three, repent of bragging. Listen to verse three. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing... He deceives himself. So when you notice your brother or sister suffering, don't be too arrogant to get involved. Now, it's so easy for us to look down on those who are struggling and to say or think something like these phrases. Some of these you probably wouldn't say out loud, but maybe you thought them. They deserve it. Or this. She's so weak. Or he just can't handle the pressure. how about this one? Saw that coming. Or this, maybe they'll listen to me next time. Or I don't want to get involved. Or I'm just glad it's them and not me. Maybe you've said something like this. I would never do something like that. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a, what? A fool than for him. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 gives us this warning. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he, what? Fall. So you and I are quick to condemn, we're quick to look the other way, and to pass by on the other side. When we lived in Pontiac, a group of guys from our church went to the prison every Sunday afternoon to do a service. There's a supermax prison right in the middle of the town, and on the same grounds is a medium security prison prison. So the guys from our church went to the medium security unit. One Sunday, I had just arrived, I decided to go along with them. I had two thoughts that day. The first started as I drove up to the prison. I started to get afraid. I mean, when I pulled up on the grounds, they had the guys with mirrors under the car checking for stuff under the car. They opened the trunk, they checked me out, and I... <laughs> I asked the leader who went all the time, I had a tie on, and I said, hey, Paul, should I take my tie off before I go in? And he said, I should. Well, I smiled knowingly, and I remarked. I said, so I shouldn't wear a tie so they can't use it to hang themselves, right? With a straight face, he replied, no, it's so they don't hang you. (laughs) That didn't help my fear. My second thought, I'm embarrassed to admit, but I thought if I admit it, it might be easier for you to admit in your own world. Number one, I was afraid. Number two, as I went in and they searched me, emptied my pockets, I went into the prison with three other guys from our church. Doors started started shutting behind us, boom, like you see in movies or TV shows. And we enter into this cinder block room with no windows. There's four of us. And then 20 or so inmates came in the room. And as they were ushered in, I began to feel self-righteous. I remember thinking, I wonder what he did. I wonder what he's in for. I was doing the kind of them and me. I wonder what bad things that they had done. And I started thinking I was better than them. But I wasn't prepared for what happened next. As these 20 prisoners and our team of four stood to sing Amazing Grace, the first verse reverberated off these cinder block walls. Hey, you did a pretty good job singing today, but it was nothing like that. It was so loud. There was so much joyful exuberance. I have never heard such jubilant singing in my life. The only thing that rivals that is when I spent a summer in Zimbabwe, Africa. I mean, they sang their hearts out. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretched like me. And I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And immediately, I was convicted by the conviction of the convicts and saddened by my own spiritual smugness. And just then, one of the inmates who was standing right next to me turned to me, huge smile on his face, and he took his pointer finger And he pointed to his heart and he said, I'm a new man. And I was wrecked. I just fell apart. While my brothers were worshiping, I was broken and began weeping. Because even though they were in prison, they were freer than I was. I was locked up by my pride. I was the older brother who had come face to face with a group of prodigals who had returned to the Father. And as they continued to sing loudly from their hearts, I was invited to the party. And that day, God's grace touched me. And I went in. And join the celebration brothers and sisters if we refuse to restore the broken or relieve the burdened it might be because we think we're better than them let me say it like this if you think you're something special then you'll find it very easy to condemn very easy but if you know you're nothing apart from God's amazing grace and except for his grace there go I Well, then you'll be quick to help the hurting. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 sets us straight. Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? So don't be deceived. Everything you have has been received. Oh, that breath you just took? A gift from God. Everything is a gift. So if we find it easy to condemn, it might be because we have an inflated view of ourselves. If we were more conscious of our sins, we'd be more forgiving of the weaknesses and failures of others. Listen, let's just admit it. We're not as together as we think we are, and our faltering friend isn't as bad as we think he or she is. You know, one of the many things I love about the ministry of Celebrate Recovery, that's a Christ-centered, 12-step recovery program we meet in the gym every Friday night, one of the many things I love about it is how people introduce themselves before telling their story. Now, there are slight variations, but if you were to come, you'd hear something that goes like this. Hi, my name is Joe I'm an unashamed follower of Jesus Christ who has been saved by God's grace. I have freedom from alcohol, and I'm currently trusting Christ for freedom from PTSD. Friends, the ministry of Celebrate Recovery has a lot to teach us. Because those of us who are in church, we generally don't talk about our sins and our struggles. We keep them hidden where they grow and get expressed in ways that are not healthy. And so let's learn from that. I'm reminded of the phrase, we're only as sick as our secrets. So we show we care when we bear one another's burdens. Restore the broken. Relieve the burden. Repent of bragging. There's one more responsibility we have, and that's to respect Our boundaries Well, this is right in verse 5 for each will have to bear his own load well let's compare verse 2 refers to an overwhelming burden that someone cannot carry by themselves look at verse 5 that's the word load that describes a soldier's backpack it's something small and light enough for everyone to carry So say it like this, it's the difference between a backpack and a boulder. So notice, everyone has to carry their own load. We're to help those who are bearing things that are way too heavy for them to handle alone. But we cannot, we must not carry someone else's responsibility. Now, some of you may have the tendency to take on everyone's cares and concerns and you try to fix them. Uh, That might be because of genuine compassion, or maybe there's a little codependency going on where you need to feel needed. Whatever the case, don't carry what is not yours You were never designed to carry the world on your shoulders. That's Jesus' job. And if you need some help in this area, Celebrate Recovery has a group for you. By the way, the leaders of Celebrate Recovery, that ministry led by Pastor Dan, they're on a retreat this weekend. Now, others of you may struggle in the opposite direction. Maybe you've been burned out. Or maybe you've been burned by someone and you frankly are done. You just don't care about other people's problems. Listen, we're not expected to carry another person's backpack, but be careful about backing too far away from people who are trying to lift loads. They cannot bear Now, as a way to apply what we've learned today, I'm going to ask an application question that corresponds with each of these four responsibilities. Question number one. Who do you know who is broken today? Who do you know that's carrying a heavy burden? Put their face in your mind, their name. Because my guess is you know someone. Number two, what one thing can you do? Might be today, might be tomorrow, but certainly should be this week before you forget. What one thing can you do to relieve their burden? Number three, this one isn't so fun, but how is God humbling you right now? I talked to someone after the first service, and he said, I've been waiting, waiting, and waiting, and God's humbling me while I wait. And number four, where do you need to build up your boundaries? Aren't you thankful Jesus is in the restoration business? He doesn't stop loving us when we can't lift our load. He pursues us when we're proud, and he redirects us when we operate without boundaries. We show we care when we bear one another's burdens. A man fell into a pit, and he couldn't get himself out. An empathetic person came along and said, Dude, I feel for you down there. A self-righteous person said, Only bad people fall into pits. A gossip? Well, a gossip inquired, give me all the details. A self-pitying person noticed the person in the pit and said, you should see my pit. Someone else said, your parents are to blame for your pit. A self-help group said... Believe in yourself. You can get out of your pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, there's nothing worse than this. Have you fallen and you don't know how to get up? Have you crossed the line and you're just like flat on your face? Do you want to be free from your burdens? I have some really good news for you. Listen to the words of Jesus found in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. wonder, are you tired of laboring to find purpose and meaning in life? Are you finally ready to repent of your sins, those sins that have weighed you down and created distance between you and a holy God? Are you tired of seeking pleasure and satisfaction in relationships, in a career, in possessions? Are you just done with that because none of that satisfies? Jesus offers you rest. He offers you forgiveness from your sins. But you must first come to him in order to be reborn. So if you're weary and burdened, You qualify for Christ to save you. In the place of your burden, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Surrender to him right now, whether you're engaging on live stream or right here in this room. If you're ready to come to him for salvation right now, would you pray this prayer with me? Close your eyes and you could pray this silently. God, I confess that I'm a sinner, and I cannot save myself. I'm in a hole. I can't get out of it. Not only do I sin, but I'm a sinner. And so right now, I surrender to you. I repent of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross in my place as my substitute. And thank you for rising from the dead on the third day, showing that you have power over sin and Satan and death itself. I believe you did this for me. And now I receive you into my life. I want to be born again. I need you, Jesus, to forgive me for my many sins. Come into my life. Give me the tenacity to follow you as your disciple, as you then use me to help carry the burdens of those who are being crushed by their problems and circumstances. Jesus, if there's anything in my life that you don't like, anything that needs to change, have at it. Do it. And it's in your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen.